hello everybody and welcome to the Practice Makes Faithful podcast. Today we are in season two, episode four. My name is Ben Patterson. I'm joined by Paul Hugobart. Yeah, it's a great morning to be recording a podcast. Here we are. Yes, sir. Yeah, and today we are in our series, The Way Back. We are halfway through a week series, so yeah. uh, we just had our fourth message in that series. Today we're going to be talking about that, talking about the fourth chapter of Paul's book, The Way Back, and uh, diving into all that. It's going to be good. Yeah. Yeah, I've been enjoying this uh, this so far. Hopefully this has been fruitful conversation for y'all. Uh, but in case you're joining us for the first time or just need a little refresher, Paul, you want to give us a quick recap of where we've been in this series so far? Yeah, since we're uh, into the fourth chapter today, these recaps will probably get uh, less detailed as we go. But just to hit on the high points real quickly. So in, in the, first, uh, the first episode, we talked about God as the creator and the importance of recognizing that. And if we set that as the foundation, there are a whole lot of things that can flow out of that. In fact, the next logical question uh, that we asked in the second episode of uh, this season uh, is, is the question, if, if God is the creator, then what can we learn about God as creator by looking at creation? And that's, um, I think that's a really important question. I mean, we look around and we start to find answers about who God is as we look at the way that he's uh, spent so much time in the details as also we look at the vastness of creation. And so uh, we looked uh, the second week at uh, Psalm 8, at least the beginning part of Psalm 8, Psalm 8, 1 through 3, where King David, who writes that psalm, is actually doing that very thing. He's looking out at creation and as he sees creation, he's, he's filled with wonder. In fact, he says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. But that is, that's the beginning of Psalm 8. That's also at the end of Psalm 8. And there's this transition in Psalm 8 where David has been looking outward, then he turns to look inward. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so that was uh, where we were last week as David makes that turn and looks inward. And he actually asks this question after looking at creation. Uh, in verse 4, he says, What is mankind that you would be mindful of them, human beings that you would care for them, or I love what the, the way the expanded Bible puts this when it says this, why are people even important to you? Hmm. So when we yeah. see the majesty of creation, we, we have this moment where, uh, especially when we see just how big creation is, how small we are, or, or we talked last week about the population of the earth and you know, how many billions of people have lived throughout, the, you know, throughout uh, all of created history. Um, you know, we don't know. I mean, we got seven and a half billion people on the face of the earth right now. Some people take, uh, you know, give pretty large numbers, potentially even that were before the flood at that point. So, you know, we've got billions of people anyway that have filled the face of the earth uh, throughout uh, the history of humanity. And we're told that God loves each and every one of us. You know, that God cares about humankind and each and, in, each and every individual human being. And, and, and so then we have to ask the question, you know, kind of what like the expanded Bible uh, does, you know, why are people even important to you? Or, or as yeah. David says, you yeah. know, why would you be mindful of us? Why would you care about us? I um, was talking with one of our folks here at Grace Chapel yesterday and saying really that, you know, as he was digging into that passage because it was very interesting to him, you know, he saw that the, the idea of uh, the second question that David asks and, why, you know, human beings, why, why would you even care about us? Why would you care about human beings um, is actually uh, the, the original Hebrew says, um, why would you visit us as human beings? Why would you bring your presence to be with us? Of course, that's what we were talking about last week is, 
you know, God wants to be with those he's created. God mm-hmm. wants to visit mm-hmm. us. God wants his presence to be with us because he's trying to build a relationship with us. And so we said out of that, um, you know, last week that it's, it's actually in God's nature. It's just part of who he is to love and then desire a relationship with created humanity. So he, he seeks to walk with us. He seeks to send his presence to be among us. So all of that kind of setting the stage for, for where we'll go today, but that's where we've been to this point. That's good. That's really good. It's a good recap. So tell us about this week, uh, this week's message, part four, chapter four of the book. Give us a quick, uh, quick summary of that. Okay. So we, we pick up with the idea that, um, that God, who is the creator of the universe, again, in all of its vastness, we can look at this idea of um, God being majestic. And then last week we said, you know, well, if we just looked at creation, there would be some things that we missed about God as the creator. And it would be this aspect of God being a relational God, God wanting a relationship with us in particular as human beings. And so I say at the beginning of chapter four, picking up from the end of chapter three, um, basically this, there should be no thought that captivates humanity as thoroughly and continually as the knowledge that we are truly and deeply loved by our creator. Mm -hmm. And if we grasp that, that, that God wants a relationship with us, in reality, there should be no thought that captivates us as thoroughly and continually is the fact that, that God, God the creator of our universe, wants a relationship with each and every, every one of us individually. I mean, that's an amazing mm-hmm. thought, really. And, and even to say those words, those words don't really, you know, even as I speak those words, like, man, those words don't, you know, there should, they should be heavier and there should be more impact to that as I say that. And so what that even... Uh, surfaces in me, and I can remember even you know writing those words, um, you know, probably close to 18 months ago, knowing them to be true, and still wrestling with, did I fully believe those words? Mm-hmm. You know, so again, there should be no thought that that captivates humanity as thoroughly and continually as the idea that I, that we're thir- that we're truly and deeply loved by our Creator. Um, you know, so so as I say those words, maybe you're processing that. Uh, for, for, you know, for the first time where you sit there, you're thinking that through and, and, and maybe you haven't allowed yourself to think through what it means to be really deeply loved by the Creator. And maybe you're even wondering, does that thought captivate me? You know, yeah. am I captivated by that? Am I in wonder by that? Because David was. Again, as we said last week, there are two things that moved David to awe. It was first, looking at creation. It was second, thinking about the God who'd created all of that, actually caring for him. Mm-hmm. So he was in awe of that. We ought to be uh, at that place. So, you know, that, that gets me to this place where then, you know, I think we start to wonder if that is true, that we ought to be in awe of that. Um, it moves me to another question. You know, if God really does love us that way and he wants relationship with us like that, how have we handled the relationship that's been extended to us. Mm-hmm. You know, so how have we as humanity, deeply loved humanity, loved by the Creator, how have we handled the relationship that He's extended to us? Have we treasured it? I mean, have we treasured that relationship? Have we, have we honored it? Um, and, and then beyond that maybe, because the success of a relationship is dependent upon the faithfulness of both parties, have we been faithful to God? knowing that it's in his nature, it's part of who he is to be faithful always, um, to be faithful to us. Um, have we in return been faithful to God? And so we, we looked yesterday at Genesis 3, which is often this passage referred to as the fall of man. 
Uh, it was, you know, it's the story of the, the sin of Adam and Eve, the first sin when sin entered into the world as they were tempted, as the, the, the serpent comes into the garden and, and asks Eve first a question um, that, that really is meant to kind of put in her mind some doubt about God and his character and his nature. And she says, or he says to, to Eve, he says, did God really say that you can't, from, you can't eat from any of these trees? I mean, as I'm looking around, I see all these trees. And so God put all these trees in front of you and then told you you can't eat from any of them? I mean, that's crazy. That's ridiculous. That's unreasonable. Now, you know, uh, when we get critical of Eve because, yes, she did end up taking a bite of that fruit. But, but let's be honest about the fact that Eve's first response to Satan, the serpent, actually represented accurately what God had told them, which was, you can eat from all of these trees except from this one that's in the middle of the garden. That's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You can't eat from this tree. Don't, don't go eating from that tree. Mm-hmm. Because on the day that you eat it from it, you'll, you'll surely die. Now, she recounts that whole thing to, to Satan, and, and, and he comes back and says, well, can I tell you, you, you won't actually die. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're not actually going to die. In fact, what's going to happen in that moment is your eyes are going to be open. And so God doesn't want you to eat from that tree because if you eat from that, you're going to gain the knowledge of good and evil. You'll understand and in that you'll become more like God. And so there's this, uh, this illusion that Satan is creating as he's talking with Eve that God is actually holding out on Adam and Eve. God is holding out on them. God doesn't want them to have all this knowledge, there's so much more they could have if they would just listen to him. He would give them all the secrets to how, he, how they could unlock this knowledge that God has been withholding from them. You know, so if they listen to Satan, if they just go and take a bite, they'd be better off. Well, so of course, Eve looks at the fruit. She says, well, it doesn't look bad. It doesn't look like poison. It doesn't look like I'll die right away. So you know, the text tells us it was, it was appealing. It looked good. It looked like it was edible. And beyond that, it looked like it might taste good. And then somehow she looks at that fruit as well and says, it does look like this fruit holds some wisdom. Now, I don't know how she came up with that understanding yeah. that it looked like it would provide <laughs> mm-hmm. wisdom, uh, that it would impart wisdom. But, but she looks at the fruit, makes that judgment, agrees with Satan in that moment, which means she disagrees with God. She's choosing against him. Um, God has given her all the reason to trust him, mm-hmm. and she decides to trust Satan, and then her own instinct that this looks okay. I, I know God has told me it's not okay, but this looks okay. Mm-hmm. So she takes the bite in that moment, her eyes are opened, she gives the fruit to Adam, he takes the bite, his eyes are opened, and in that moment we see, you know, all of a sudden this awareness comes to them. They're self-aware at a whole new level. You know, that they're understanding their consciousness is, is, in a sense, expanded in that moment. They look at each other. They realize for the first time they're not wearing clothes. And what that actually is there is, I think, to point out they, they see shame for the first time in what it looks like to expose yourself in a way that, that maybe uh, is embarrassing. Um, you know, so they're, they're ashamed around each other. You know, so here's this husband and wife who's, they've known each other. Um, you know, we don't know how long, but but they should know each other so that they're comfortable around each other. Now all of a sudden they're uncomfortable around each other. They're exposed in front of each other. So they go and they make these coverings for, for uh, themselves. And so you know, I said in, in the message on Sunday, you know, this, this sin led to the first cover-up, which sin almost always leads to an attempt to cover 
up what happened. You know, so they tried to cover it up. They move into this place where they start to blame each other as God comes down and he finds them. You know, so they're, you know, God steps into the garden. That's, we talked about that last week. Um, you know, as God steps into the garden, Adam and Eve recognize the sound of the footsteps in the garden. So obviously they were familiar with the sound of his feet in the garden. They knew what that sounded like, the physical sound of his feet in the garden. So God is walking in the garden and he calls out to Adam, where are you? You know, I'm looking for you guys. Normally when I walk into the garden, you come running to me. You know, this relationship. Um, and right now you're hiding from me. So as Adam comes out of hiding, um, you know, of course, God knows what has happened and says, what, what's going on? Why are you hiding from me? Um, did, did you eat from the tree? Is that, is that what happened here? You ate from the tree? And Adam says, well, actually what happened was, <laughs> you see what happened was, God, <laughs> Eve ate from the tree and she gave me some, and so of course I didn't have any choice. And okay, God turns to Eve and says, what happened? Uh, and Eve said, well, this serpent, that obviously just your creation, this serpent told me that this was fine, and so I didn't have any choice, I ate it. Um, and then, you know, of course we see with that denial and the blame game that happens, um, just this whole new way of operating that before that time had been completely uh, foreign to Adam and Eve, but, but in doing so, we see the consequences as we go further in the chapter that they really sacrificed the intimacy of the relationship that they had with God. Mm -hmm. you know, so in that moment where they choose against God, um, where they had, been, they had been able to be in God's presence in a way that um, uh, there just were no barriers that existed between them and God whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so what brings the barrier into uh, what, what brings that barrier between Adam and Eve and God? It, it is sin. It is um, a mistrust of God that leads to a mistreatment of God. Then that leads to this rupture of relationship that now, you know, since that moment, um, God has been trying to reestablish with us. And, and when we come to the place where we realize the effects of sin, and we accept that reality, we have then been trying to make our efforts to then reestablish that relationship with God ever since. And so, you know, I think, um, you know, I think that that story points out so well um, because, you know, it, it's a familiar story not only because many of us know the story of the fall of man, it's a familiar story because it mirrors our story so well. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it's, it's what we do. I shared yes, yesterday the story of, you know, of my kids. Um, you know, who, who will often, and uh, you know, so, so we were out, out of the house for a little bit cleaning the garage, we came back in, um, and my kids had made a giant mess in the living room. And as we're trying to figure out what happened here, none of them would, you know, none of them would speak up and share what had happened there <laughs> until we kind of really started to grill them. Like, well, what were you guys thinking uh, in, in making this giant mess? And then finally the truth starts to come out about how they got to that place, but the reality was, you know, they'd rather look at each other and point the fingers at each other and say, it's his fault, her fault, you know, my, not my fault, you know. Um, you know, and I use that story to illustrate this reality that, um, you know, as, as human beings, especially as adults, we do the same thing as my kids did in that, that incident, but, but as we grow older, we just find more adult ways to make messes and more adult ways to try to pass blame off. And so we're, we're not different than Adam and Eve in that way. So when we come back and we answer, you know, try to answer this question, you know, how have we handled the relationship that God has extended to us? How have we handled it? Have we treasured it? Have we honored it? Have we been faithful? 
And we can see in that, all the way back to Adam and Eve, the answer is no, we have not been. And as we start to look at ourselves as well, I think the answer comes plain and clear as well. That no, we haven't as well. So that's that's, that's kind of where we started yesterday, yeah. and that's a case try, we're trying to make. <clears throat> that's good. So in the book, you used a illustration to kind of help us think through this in a little bit more of a practical light. Um, would you walk through that illustration with us and yeah. uh, maybe kind of help us think through that today? Yeah, so that's the, the illustration that I opened the, the chapter with, I believe, um, talking about, uh, you know, what if you had this famous friend Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and somehow you developed a relationship with somebody that was famous or you developed a relationship with somebody that, that's, that everybody else would like to have a relationship with, or at least a huge segment of the population would mm-hmm. like to have a relationship with. Um, you know, what if you developed that kind of a friendship where uh, you, you really you spent time together, you went out in public together, and every time you went out in public with this person, you knew the eyes of everybody else, they were on you and they were on this person because, you know, one, you know, people are kind of envious of the relationship that you have with this particular mm-hmm. person, mm-hmm. Um, knowing that they'd love to have that relationship as well. But, but here you were, you were the one experiencing the honor, the privilege um, of, of having a friendship with this particular famous person, you know, who's influential for some reason mm-hmm. or another. And we could speculate on uh, what that would be like. And, and I, you know, the question that I asked, uh, you know, that I asked in the book is kind of how would you treat a relationship like that? I mean, would you treat it with, in a sense, the honor that it deserved, knowing that it was a privilege to be uh, in relationship with that particular person? Um, you know, and so I asked a question beyond that, what would happen if we took that kind of a relationship for granted? Uh, how long would that relationship last? Yeah. You know, and that could be true with anybody. I mean, how long does any relationship last if we take the relationship for granted? But particularly maybe a famous person who, yeah. you know, as we think about famous people, um, I don't think we, we often get the feeling that those famous people really want to spend time with, with the little people like you mm-hmm. and me, right? With the rest of us, you know, the, the famous people are off in Hollywood or in, you know, the big cities, Washington, D.C., and maybe even New York, but they're not they're not, you know, knocking down our door trying to say, man, I, I wish I could be friends with, with you, mm-hmm. Ben, um, you know, or me, you know, I mean, they're, you know, so, so we don't get that sense. And so if that happened, I think, um, I would think we would want to treasure that relationship. Now, you know, the reality is we might go a little too far in a relationship like that and kind of, you know, fall over our feet and trying to, to honor that person or not lose that relationship. But, but it just showed, it just shows what we would likely do with a relationship in, in which we really, uh, really valued the person and valued the relationship deeply. Yeah. How would yeah. we treat that? No, that's interesting. I think that's a good. I think that's a good helpful example. And even as even as I just think that through myself, if I were to have that relationship, I mean, naturally my celebrity would be Taylor Swift that yeah. I would have that relationship with. And um, if that I'm, I'm were to I'm a little embarrassed happen, sitting right next to you that you just admitted that. You know, but, <laughs> on podcast, it's on, on the podcast. record now. It's on the record. It's on the record. Taylor Swift. Um, but even just as I think about that idea. I would be so intimidated to have a relationship mm. with someone that I have just such respect for, so appreciate their art, yeah. and that there would be something like I feel even uncomfortable about the idea of like meeting that person face to face, having that relationship with that person that I just have so much respect for their art that 
it is just so I just think that's that's interesting as I think yeah, of that and when we put that in our relationship with God and we think of how yeah, we have that relationship with him, but how often do we so easily take that for granted? That's how so, often so do we true. so easily abuse that relationship that we don't often put it in those terms that yeah, when I think of that with a person that I have great respect for, I think, man, no, I would never do anything to hurt that relationship. Yes. I somehow right. got to meet and have lunch with Taylor Swift. I would not do anything, take that for granted. But how often do I do that with my relationship with God? Yeah. And uh, that is that, that's interesting. That's convicting. Yeah, no, it's so true. I think that's right. And, and, and we don't, um, you know, the reality is with, you know, with these stars, we, we know still that they're just people. Yeah. And, and that they're not perfect people. I mean, you know, as I think about some of the, you know, maybe, you know, we use the word idol and maybe we shouldn't use that. But if we, <laughs> um, if we think of these yeah. people that we really put up on a pedestal, you know, for me is especially that I think about some of those people I put up on a pedestal when I was young, you know, most of those folks have had some sort of a, you know, a fall, a crash and burn to some degree, mm-hmm. um, where the fact that they are not perfect and set apart and holy, not majestic as God is, um, you know, that that becomes quite evident. Mm-hmm. You know, so this uh, this yeah. respect that I had for them because maybe they were very capable at one thing doesn't make them in the end wonderful human beings or far from perfect. Still, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but still in those relationships, especially in those moments going back, you know, as I think about to the days when I was younger, um, man, I would have done everything I could to fan the flames of a friendship with, mm-hmm. you know, with one of those people, um, for sure. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I think, so, it, I think it's, it illuminates a reality anyhow. That's good. So let's take this maybe a, a bit a bit deeper, a little okay. bit further on this conversation, and um, I want to talk a little bit about like the idea of having a sin nature of mm. um, of like are humans basically good or bad? Really, yeah. maybe is the question, and there's been a lot yes. of debate about that for years. That I mean, maybe it's went back and forth, probably even in yeah. the church of how it's been emphasized yes. of one way or the other. So, what would you say? Are are people basically good? Are basically bad? Are they evil? Yeah. What would you say? Yeah, that is a really tough question to answer in in some senses. And I know there are some people who would say, well, that's not a tough question to answer at all, Um, you know, depending upon maybe your theological orientation. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say because I find myself somewhere kind of in the middle, or maybe I I don't lean to one of the theological extremes, and we can dig into that in a minute, that I would say it's it's a little more nuanced for me, which makes, you know, anytime that the answer to a question is nuanced, it becomes a little bit more complex in the way that we try to... Uh, kind of fumble that out just a little bit. And so we'll we'll do that um, over the next few minutes. So, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, it's tough to answer because when I look around, I I have to be honest, there is good in humanity. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, you know, I think about, um, you know, last night our small group met and we were talking, um, you know, and even in in a conversation um, following the message yesterday, I was talking with some folks about times where they've seen people do some really good things, you know, we're thinking back to when, um, you know, when we were first in the midst of this COVID pandemic, you remember those first few weeks where, uh, where things were going crazy in New York City in particular. I mean, the scenes that we were seeing out of New York City were, were just really heartbreaking. But we had, um, 
we had these people rise to almost like hero status within our community, our, our medical workers, so nurses, doctors, and others working in the hospital. And if you can think about, um, you know, people would turn their, their lights on at night in show of support for the medical community, or they would hang signs outside of uh, their windows saying, you know, we're with you. Uh, you guys are heroes. We love our heroes. I mean, different things like that. And so this acknowledgement um, of, of love and goodwill for others. And so in that you see, I mean, there's goodness in that. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, I can think about, you know, um, maybe within my lifetime, um, you know, we're, we're coming up on September 11th, you mm -hmm. know, a date that um, both exposed some deep evil within humankind. And then in the days after that, or even that day, some great goodness that, that still exists within humankind. You know, mm -hmm. so you had people deciding to fly airplanes into multiple buildings, but then you also at the same time had these people who were willing to charge up these buildings that they knew weren't going to probably be able to stand. You know, so firefighters, policemen, and others, police officers going up those buildings to try to find and rescue people and bring them out of a building that could collapse at any moment, mm -hmm. you know, putting their lives at risk to try to save others. And so you see this reality. So we can't deny that there is definitely good in humanity, um, but, but we can't deny that there's definitely a lot that's not good as well. Um, so yeah, I think, I think as you kind of already touched on, yeah, it's, it's very complex, yeah. very complex. Um, you know, and some people would talk about that in the sense of, well, of course, there's, you know, there's this common grace and that explains the good that's in us. But then there's also this other thing that we could share, this common maybe sin nature, some would call that. You know, I think it could take us into a quick discussion maybe on the topic of uh, original sin. And I think that okay. would be fair to touch on for a moment. Um, you know, original sin is basically this idea that when Adam and Eve sinned, it brought sin into the world and every one of us is now impacted by the fact uh, that there is sin or affected by the fact that there is now sin in the world from that moment going forward mm -hmm. until uh, God returns and he deals with sin uh, finally once and for all. And, and um, yeah, you do ahead. this in the book, but would you just briefly define sin? Yeah, sin, you know, we can talk about sin in the sense of of missing the mark is kind of the way that, mm -hmm. you know, that the, the word, especially in Greek, the hamartion, is, is the idea of missing the mark. So it's this idea, you know, if, if, I, uh, if I was an archer and I'm pulling back this bow and I'm aiming at this target, God has given us a target to hit. In other words, God has said, mm -hmm. this is good, this is your target. So when I pull back and I aim at that target and I hit that target, um, I am living the way that God would want me to live. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm, hitting, I'm, I'm now hitting the mark. But anytime I decide to point my arrow in another direction, I'm, I'm obviously going to miss the mark. So I'm going to say, I want it my way instead of your way, then that is actually sin. So, so God has said, yeah. here's how I want you to live. Here's the kind of people that I want you to be. So we are, um, you know, again, we are his creation, which if we're his creation, that, that would mean that he has the right to ask, require, expect some things of us. You know, again, mm -hmm. he's... He's God and we're not, you know, so I think in one sense, sin is any time when I decide I want to follow my own desires instead of follow the desires of God, which actually puts me in the place of God. Yeah. You know, so Adam and Eve decided what? They wanted to have the same kind of knowledge that God did. So instead of just being made in God's image, 
they wanted to actually be God. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, so it wasn't just good so, enough to be made in His image. We now need to be God. We need to be the ones that are in charge and, and make our own decisions. Go ahead. So then, so original sin would be to say then, so Adam and Eve's original act of doing that, of falling short, has somehow impacted all of us. Yeah. Right. And then we can talk about and let's talk about those two. There, there's a couple different ways yes. we can imagine of how has that impacted yeah, all of us. That's right. What are those? What are those categories? Um, explain those to us. Yeah, and I, I think that's fair to note that, um, you know, sometimes when people think of the idea of original sin, they go straight to the idea that that means that, that we're all born sinful, you know, to where there's already the mark of sin upon us. Mm-hmm. Um, and then others would look at it and say, um, you know, no, we accept the idea of original sin in a sense that Adam and Eve sinned and it has an effect on everyone to come. Which, you know, the Apostle Paul says that pretty plainly in Romans, you know, Adam sinned because of one sin. Now, now we're all going to be mm-hmm, mm-hmm. sinners. We're all going to sin. It is inevitable. Um, and in fact, I think that that brings out two words that I actually like to use to kind of try to draw a distinction between those two. So the first is, um, is that sin is somewhat inherent within us then. Okay, so when a, when a baby is born, that baby is, is sinful as opposed to innocent. Well, that would be because sin is inherent, and that is the extreme way of looking at the idea of original sin. Mm-hmm. So because Adam and Eve sinned, we're all automatically sinners from the moment we're born, or even before we're born. Some will go that extreme with it and say that, you know, a baby in the womb is a sinner. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that, that has all sort of kind of wild implications when you start to really flesh that out further. Um, and I would say I, I probably don't prescribe to that. In fact, I would say I definitely don't prescribe to that mm-hmm. idea that, um, you know, the idea of original sin being inherent. And that essentially, I come from an idea to basically say that we, we bear some level of responsibility for Adam's sin, right? Is that kind of where that thinking comes from, that just by being human, we all bear some weight of that so we're inherently before any of our own actions were Sinful. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think to say we bear some responsibility in that because we're human, so we are, you know, so Adam was the first human, we're all humans, and, and so that, that you know, uh, we bear some responsibility in that. And, and maybe also that, um, you know, once Adam sinned, it once and for all um, made everyone who was to come sinful from there on out. You mm-hmm. know, so mm-hmm. again, it's... It, it was inherent in yeah, us. Gotcha. It, it's okay. part of our. It's truly part of our nature at the moment of, you know, even conception, creation. Again, for us, and then birth. By that point in time, we're already now inherently sinful. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you know, so so that's that's maybe one extreme way of looking yeah. at it. And I would call that, you know, again, that's the idea that we are inherently sinful. And then the second way of looking at that, and this would be the one that I do kind of prescribe to, is that. Um, that we are inevitably sinful. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we as human beings are not inherently sinful. We didn't inherit, we didn't inherit Adam's sin, but we inherited his, his nature in that we were going to yeah. sin and yeah. that we're now broken um, mm-hmm. and, and that it's inevitable that we're all going to sin. Mm-hmm. You know, so when Paul says, and we'll look at this in a minute in Romans 3, 23, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, it's not a statement of inherent sinfulness, but it is a statement of inevitable sinfulness for all who would come uh, from then on out. And I think, you know, when you look around, um, that, that bears itself out just in observance. 
-hmm. You know, everybody's broken. We will all sin. You know, I see that pretty clearly. I mean, I, you know, I, I saw that in, in my kids who were born just, um, you know, when they were born, you, you see the innocence in them. Uh, there's nothing about them that just doesn't seem perfect, but, but not very long after that, uh, especially when they start to develop some cognitive ability and start to really think for themselves, you can see they start to struggle with do it your way or do it my way quite quickly, you know, mm -hmm. and it's, it's amazing that, you know, for many kids, one of the first words they will learn is no. And who do they say that to? Mom and dad. And when do they say it to mom and dad? When mm -hmm. mom and dad is asking mm -hmm. them to do something. And so no is a rebellious word by nature. You know, I mean, there are times when we need to say no to things. There's no doubt about that. But certainly in the way that the children tend to embrace it very early on in their lives, um, it, it's in a sense of rebellion and trying to uh, individuate themselves, trying to become autonomous. Well, this, this, the same we do the same with God. You know, we want to function in an autonomous way. We want to be able to, you know, do what we want, do what we like, as opposed to saying, God, what is it that you want me to do? Which is what faithfulness to God looks like. And so, you know, I think it's because we're born broken that then, you know, again, we're definitely all going to sin. Mm -hmm. You know, so again, I think um, is that fair? Does that does that explain that? Well enough. I think that's good. Yeah, from I think your perspective. I think that's really helpful. I really like this. The categories of inerrant versus inevitable. Um, I, I too would subscribe to that as being more of an inevitable, um, an inevitable thing. So and that's helpful. Yeah, and, and again, there, we'll acknowledge that there's been a, a real disagreement over that, or a kind yeah, of a yeah, battle yeah. and debate over that from sure. um, from probably really some. I don't know, maybe like the third century on. So this isn't a yeah. this is not a new debate. Yeah. This is one that's been been ongoing for years. But to me, the weight of the evidence of Scripture seems to support the idea that, um, that if we are going to say yes to the idea of original sin on, some very, uh, on a very low level, in a very low level way, that, that we would be embracing the idea that sinfulness is inevitable, not inherent. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. Um, but, you know, so maybe, maybe this can lead us into just a quick conversation about Romans 3. And okay. during the message, yep. we, we didn't have the time to flesh out a whole lot of this, um, just just a few verses. I think it was 21 through 25a. Um, but I'd like to look at, at a little bit of the context that okay. the Apostle Paul provides before this, which comes directly from some Old Testament passages. Um, and, and this begins in, in verse 10, as he says, as it is written. So this is Romans 3, as, uh, Romans 3, verse 10. Paul says, as it is written. And he begins off with these words. He begins with these words. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. Now, the next words are, are, are difficult, you know, especially if, you know, if we want to be these kind of folks that, that prescribe to human beings being basically good. Mm -hmm. This really pushes back on that. You know, what the Apostle Paul says is, all have turned away. They've all together become worthless. Now, again, remember, he's quoting Old Testament passages in this too. He says, there is no one who does good, not even one. Now, maybe some of these passages are pulled from times where, uh, where, where people, and, and certainly throughout certain times of history, we know that people have behaved um, in, in evil ways, um, maybe have embraced evil uh, even more than we see today. You know, it's, it's kind of, I think, human nature to look around and say, you know, we're living in a time where things are so bad, it can't have ever been as bad as it is now. We know that's not true. I mean, when we think about the days of Noah and think about as Moses is writing and reflecting what happened in the days of Noah, 
and he pins these words. He says uh, something along these lines that during the days of Noah, as God was looking out, he saw human beings and except Noah, other than Noah, who was trying to live and walk righteously with God, he looked at everybody else and every inclination of their heart all the time was for nothing but evil. So every inclination all of the time was for nothing but evil. So these very, very uh, absolute words to describe the condition of humanity during the days of Noah, mm -hmm. when there was no one righteous except for Noah, um, who there was no one trying to do good. They were all, all constantly doing evil. Mm -hmm. um, we see a number of times throughout Scripture where we see that to be true. You know, Sodom and Gomorrah, we often want to put on Sodom and Gomorrah one sin and say that that was why Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed. Uh, but what we actually see in reality about Sodom and Gomorrah is just this vastness of their sinfulness. Um, and, and Abraham pleading with God and getting to the point where he says, if you could find even 10 people who care about doing righteous and good things, who care about following you anymore, would you spare this city? And God can't find 10. Mm -hmm. You know, so just a vastness of unrighteousness and evil happening within that city. Yeah. Um, you know, we see this in the time of the judges, even among Israel, but in the nation surrounding Israel, of course, as well. You know, that, that you know, in the nation of Israel, there were times where they forgot about God. And every, you know, there was no king in Israel is the way that, um, you know, that's written in Judges. There was no king in Israel, so everybody did what was right in their own eyes. Mm -hmm. just decide, whatever, whatever I feel like is good, I'm going to do. Now, we have to be honest, too, and say, boy, that sounds, that particular part sounds a lot like the time that we're living in. You know, where, where we're not making God king, and so we're all doing what we determine is right in our own eyes. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's moralistic relativism, yeah. relativism and, and, and we embrace that. So, you know, Paul goes on just to, to write some, uh, you know, as he's quoting these Old Testament passages about the different things. You know, he says their, their throats are open graves, their tongues practice deceit, the poison of vipers is on their lips. So talking about just the lack of honor that exists within humanity, humankind, and that did certainly during some of those times, and that that just was made plain by the words that they spoke. Mm -hmm. You know, so I'll do this and then don't turn around and do that. You know, mouths being full of cursing and bitterness beyond that, feet being swift to shed blood. In other words, running toward evil instead of away from it. Ruin and misery mark their ways. They don't know the way of peace. And then the conclusion, there is no fear of God before their eyes. So it was because they did not have a relationship with God. They were doing whatever they wanted to do. And when they did, only what they wanted to do without any sort of imposed self-control whatsoever or or an awareness of God, a respect of God, it led them to nothing but evil. I mean, that's plain. So I think what we could at least say about us as human beings, if we only do the things we want to do over and over and over again, and we build that pattern, we're going to see a whole lot more bad than good. Mm -hmm. You know, and so I think we could look around at the world right now and we could say, yes, yeah, some of that is definitely what we see right now. Um, so that, brought, that brings us to the place that we spent a little bit of time in, you know, the, the passage or the part of Romans 3 that we spent some time in, in the message where the, the Apostle Paul says this, picking up in verse one, uh, 21, he says, But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. He says, This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. And, and you know, in Rome, he's definitely speaking to a church that was made up of both Jews and Gentiles. The Jews had been God's chosen and set apart people. And they probably determined there's a reason we're chosen and set apart. And it's because we're better than all these folks out there, all the Gentiles out there. 
Uh, and Paul just kind of bursts that bubble in one quick sentence. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. And then he speaks these words. He says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Again, it, it, are, are there any of us out there who are really good, especially when we compare ourselves to the glory or the majesty or the holiness of God? You know, and that's, that's, I think, part of the trouble. If we compare ourselves to other people, you know, if I look around, I don't have to look around too long to find some people that I can compare myself to that, that will leave me at the place where I'm feeling pretty good about myself. Mm-hmm. Right? So if, if, that, if that is what I use as my standard, I'm looking around and I say, well, at least I'm not like yeah. that person. Yeah. Then I can justify myself. Mm-hmm. But if I start to look around and I compare myself to God, which is why we've been setting the stage in this bit by bit. So we understand God as the creator. We understand the majesty of God, the set-apartness of God, the holiness of God. We see that God has extended relationship to us. We see that we violated that relationship with God. Then we start to compare ourselves to God. We see him again, holy, set-apart, majestic. We look at ourselves, and now the truth about us starts to become clear. We'll really get into that um, a lot more next week. Uh, for sure. And, but that's an important thought to, to be able to start to kind of uh, grab a hold of just, to, j- just for a little bit. And so, you know, when we, when we allow ourselves to sit in Romans 3 for a little bit, or the Genesis story, or the outflow of the Genesis story, understanding that, yes, Adam's sin does have an effect on all of us, every human being to come. Um, you know, at that point in time, we have to conclude at a minimum you know, that human beings are not basically good. We're not basically good. I mean, and this is important because I think there's a whole host of, again, of spiritual and philosophical thinkers out there who, who are saying that human beings are basically good. Um, and, and I understand the temptation to want to think that way. I really do. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we, do this, we do this just with ourselves as well. And I can't remember that there's a... There's a psychological term for this, the, the fact that, um, you know, Ben, if I do something, I'm going to judge myself more graciously and I'm going to come up with all the reasons uh-huh, why uh-huh. I did that. There's a bias in that. Um, and I can't remember what, what it's called. Yeah, don't call it um, self, self something bias. Um, anyway, so we think better of ourselves than we do of others. So the reality has been, even though, you know, I, I, I like you, you know, I appreciate you quite a bit, but you could turn around and do that same thing. And I might have some really negative feelings about you, even though you just did the very same thing I did, right? Mm-hmm. So why would I get to the place where I have some negative feelings about you? Well, I assume some things about myself. What do I assume about myself? Well, that I'm basically good and that my intentions were good, my motivations were good, my desires were good. But for some reason, I don't extend that same grace to you, mm-hmm. you know? But, you know, so, so we can do that even with ourselves at a very personal level. Um, but, I, but I just don't think if we read the words of Scripture honestly, we just cannot allow ourselves to get to this place where we assume that we are basically good. Yeah, right mm-hmm. there. You got it. The fundamental, fundamental attribution that's error. It. Fundamental attribution error. Nope. Yeah, so we attribute to ourselves good motivations yep. um, and, and, you know, and good reasons for doing a, a certain thing, but we attribute to others bad reasons, bad motivations. Well, again, I, I just don't think that if we read the words of Scripture holistically, it leaves us with the ability to walk away concluding that people are basically good. Yeah. Okay, so I guess 
My last question before we kind of get into making this practical would be, why, why is that important? Like, why do we need to accept that we're broken or to put it in the words of the authors of Scripture, why do we need to accept that we're sinful? Yeah. Well, that, that really gets to the heart of it, doesn't it? Because we've just been mostly engaging in kind of a, almost a somewhat philosophical and theoretical way for much of our conversation, haven't we? So this, I guess, is where we move to the practical, um, where, where the rubber meets the road. Um, you know, I said in the message this, that, that you have to accept the reality of the bad news to be able to appreciate the depth and the extent of the good news. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's a big thing. So, you know, and... Um, if we think, let me just follow this logical, this, this progression out logically, sure. right? If we assume that we, that human beings are basically good, then do we really need the redemption that God offers us down the line? Do we need mm-hmm. that? If we're basically good, then we must be basically okay. Mm-hmm. But what we're told is we're not okay, that you and I are not okay, which then begs us to ask the question, what next? It, that actually, it moves us somewhere. You know, so if I accept the depth of the bad news about myself, it moves me to a place where I start to ask the important questions that, that then come up. <laughs> what, what can I do? What needs to happen next, right? But if we determine, determine that we are basically good, then, then I, I would want to ask this question, then, then why do we have a need for God? If you and I are basically good, why do we have a need for God? Or why do we ultimately need to be saved from anything, yeah. right? Yeah. So if we That's return fair. just real quickly to a moment, you know, for a moment to the Romans 3 passage, especially versing, uh, you know, focusing on those verses 23 through 25, um, what the Apostle Paul says is because we have all sinned and fallen short, if we accept that that's true, then we will acknowledge that we need to be justified, which means I can't justify myself and I need to stop trying, right? Which means that I need grace. So I accept then in that moment, I need grace, which means that we accept that we need to be redeemed, which means that we accept that we needed God to go so far as to make a sacrifice for us and not just any sacrifice, but the sacrifice of his own son, right? So he sacrificed Jesus for us. Why? Because we're not righteous, because we need forgiveness, because and I know we don't like this part, but because we deserve punishment somewhere in that. You know, so we may not like the bad news. Frankly, who likes bad news? Yeah. Right? Nobody yeah. likes bad news. <laughs> um, but if we don't accept the depth and the extent of the bad news, we're also not going to accept, accept, we're not going to understand, embrace, and rejoice at the extent of the good news mm-hmm. when that comes along as well. So I think, I think it's incredibly important. Yeah. In fact, if, if we don't accept the bad news, we're going to have a hard time progressing beyond mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the point that we've arrived at right now. That's good. So as we, as we come to a close on that, um, we'll land with our final question of how do we practice this to be faithful to Jesus? Yeah, I, I think the first thing, just wherever you are right now, be willing to ask yourself this question. Do I accept that I'm, that I am sinful, mm-hmm. that I'm broken, that I've messed up? Do I accept that? Or am I still like Adam and Eve trying to embrace the cover up, right? Trying to hide from what I've done, trying to deny it, trying to blame someone else, or, or have I accepted the reality and truth about myself? 
I think wherever you are listening to this right now, watching it, to just have that conversation with yourself. And that may not be a one-time conversation. You may have to follow up on that several times um, throughout the week and really kind of sit in that. Do I accept the fact that I'm sinful, broken, messed up as, as God tells me about myself? That's what God tells us. Um, you know, and in that, too, I would say to, to, to move to the next place, too, because it, it doesn't, we're not supposed to just stay there either. We, we do need to accept mm-hmm. that because accepting that is, is incredibly pivotal. Um, but that'll move us to the place where, that, where we recognize 100% I'm, I'm not worthy of the relationship that God continues to extend toward me. But the fact that he continues to chase after me means that while maybe I'm not worthy of it, I'm deeply valued in his eyes. And that is huge. It's big and it really will set the stage for for what comes next. You know, and so this is kind of a uh, this is kind of a place where you you need to spend some time here so that you can move forward. We talk I talk about that in in counseling uh, with folks, you know, that um, that oftentimes people live in, in such a way that, yes, they, they have been moving on from whatever it was that happened, whatever difficulty they faced in life, sometimes it's trauma or whatever. But really what we need to do is not just move on, we need to learn how to move forward. Mm-hmm. Well, this is kind of like that. This is one of those things that we need to be able to do, that we need to accept about ourselves so that we can truly move forward. And if God's design for all of us is to be able to live in the freedom of Jesus Christ, this is one of those steps that will help us to actually live forward in the freedom and the goodness of Jesus Christ to be able to say like the Apostle Paul does, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice because we have seen the bad news clearly. Mm-hmm. But it also moves us to a place where now we have so much more appreciation for the good news. So I'd say between now and next week, just find some time to contemplate, maybe even wrestle through what we've been talking about today. Because I can promise you this, the answers that you land on, um, they will determine how you respond to where we go in, in the coming weeks. That's good. Awesome. Thank you for that challenge. So wrestle with that, the question mm-hmm. of, do you accept I'm broken, sinful, messed up? Spend some time wrestling with that, mm-hmm. dwelling that. It's, that's really good. Um, so there you go. So you got any practice to work on uh, this week as we move forward. It is, uh, it's, it's kind of the bad news yeah. week. It is um, the bad news week. But I look forward to good news to come Amen. as we dive into this conversation, continue moving forward next week. So tune back in next week for the next part of this series. Um, we look forward to continuing this conversation and uh, we'll see you all then.